This is a Macquarie Group podcast. Hello, and welcome to Macquarie's Perspectives podcast, where our diverse team of experts and invited special guests share their latest thinking on current and emerging topics. My name is Jake Lynch, head of research at Macquarie Capital's Asian Equity Research Team. And in today's episode, we're going to explore the key drivers behind the rapid growth of e-commerce in China, which is the largest online retail market in the world, and the role that e-commerce continues to play during waves of COVID-19. Joining me for the conversation is Ellie Zhao, an internet analyst on our team who specializes in e-commerce, online travel, and media industry. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you for inviting me. So Ellie, let's start with the big picture. As we know, China's retail e-commerce market has been the largest in the world since 2013. And now is over one third of the 44 trillion Chinese renminbi retail industry. Walk us through the key growth and opportunities here. Yeah, let me dive into a few aspects here. Uh, so actually, in the past two years of this whole fighting with COVID has actually opened up a gateway for an accelerated uh, online penetration, especially when you think about when people are stuck at home and having to spend increasing amount of time on the Internet and eventually seeking for a faster and more efficient ways to fulfill their daily needs. Uh, something very interesting to note here is uh, the two tails of the age group, both Gen Z and the elderly, actually saw the fastest growth during these recent periods. And when the offline services were suspended, uh, many of them were introduced to the e-commerce channels for the first time and even stayed on uh, when the restrictions got lifted. You know, something I was always fascinated was that when I saw my grandparents completed their first online order of fresh tomatoes on Alibaba's Taobao platform during the 2020 lockdown, and they have actually been a loyal customer since then and now buying all sorts of necessities, even for the families. Uh, on the other hand, we've got this infrastructure developments that's been bringing up more possibilities for the categories uh, to get introduced to online. If we take a step back to compare the different uh, online penetration across the categories, we still see this huge discrepancy between the mature categories like uh, cosmetics, uh, apparel, and uh, consumer electronics versus the things like fresh produce and FMCG. And eventually, when you think about that discrepancy, uh, the key trigger here is still about the logistics. You know, if I was buying a vegetable for uh, my family, I probably want to get the vegetables delivered to my door uh, by dinner time or tomorrow morning. And when you think about it, that's actually within a 24-hour fulfillment cycle compares to a typical five to th uh, three to five days of fulfillment. And when I'm trying to buy a washing machine uh, as well, I probably want a similar level of support. For example, the two-store um, the, the two support, the customer services, the installations, and the after-sale uh, maintenance. And that would require a much higher level uh, of online and offline integrations from the platform side. So eventually, all of these points will be the ongoing subjects for the platforms to improve on. And going forward, when uh, the infrastructure is getting more and more sophisticated and with higher efficiency, we actually believe there will be a wider range of categories and products getting introduced to online. And eventually, that will be a key driver for the consumer's demand. All right. Well, 
let's talk about that increased efficiency across the distribution. Can you tell us a bit more? How is that gonna how's that gonna benefit playing into the consumer shopping experience? You know, the secret sauce for e-commerce channels have always been this superior level of convenience and accessibility. Right, so just now we've already talked about how the deepened consumer mindshare could open up a more diversified consumption scenarios and product categories. But it really depends on whether the consumers are getting this wider range of goods uh, when you know, sh- you're shopping online and probably with better uh, quality compared to what you would really get uh, on the offline channels. Uh, back in the days, I recall there were a lot of people coming to my home province, Jiangsu, try to get the taste of the fresh-picked peaches, uh, but always had challenges to bring them back to their hometown because of these extreme soft and delicate texture for the fruits. Now, given the upgraded uh, fulfillment network and logistics uh, in the cold chain side, the consumers in Shandong province, for example, they are 600 miles away. Uh, They could simply just place an order on JD.com and you know the, the and having the box uh, delivered to their home by tomorrow. Right. On the distribution side, though, the e-commerce channels have always been working more closely with the upstream, so including dist- industrial parks, farmers, so that they are eventually cutting through the middle layers uh, and open up more options of different goods and having better prices. Um, the overall entitlement fulfillment cycle is also shortened, like what we just talked about. And throughout that shortened cycle, the spoilage ratio for the vegetables and fresh produce have been narrowed significantly. And thanks for the data intelligent tools, we now see uh, e-commerce being a highly efficient model for the payment process as well. The average payable days from the e-commerce channels to a supplier uh, is usually within 30 days, and it could be as short as only three to five days. And that compares with a five to six month long of payment process for the traditional retailers. That's a big difference. Let's shift a bit here and talk to us a bit about China compared to the rest of the world in terms of user behaviors. What, What have you seen that's different? Yeah, in general, uh, the social and interactive content have always been highly valued uh, across the internet usage for the Chinese online platforms. And that's why the Chinese in the China e-commerce world, the quality of content is playing a more and more important role. An interesting data point I want to share with you uh, is really if we look at the global e-commerce platforms, the average browsing time per day uh, is around 5 to 10 minutes. And that number is more than doubled to 20 to 25 minutes in China, especially among the marketplace models like Alibaba and PDD. When you are visiting these e-commerce apps, it's almost like you are visiting a mall. So you've got a wider range of categories, merchandises, while you're also looking at interactive videos, live streaming, and fun activities that you can play with your friends and families. So within the multiple types of content, we actually see live streaming e-commerce gaining very positive momentum in the past few years. Uh, So by 2021, the overall GMV generated from the live streaming e-commerce has already reached over 20% of the total China online retail. Okay, that's that's great. But live streaming, can you you actually explain that um, to somebody like myself who doesn't spend much time on live streaming? How are companies using this to drive traffic and sales? 
Sure. Uh, you know, when live streaming was first introduced uh, to the e-commerce world, many would just describe it as another version of TV shopping. But we actually view this as a more inter interactive model combining the shopping scenario uh, as well as the higher level of customer engagement. So aside from nice photos and descriptions you could usually see on a product, now the customers appreciate a much higher level uh, of the display on the visual side. So it's like things, um, how a dress would actually fit onto someone that shares a similar body size with me or a, a, a thorough a demonstration of how key features would really work for a coffee machine, it would really help with the decision-making processes. And what's more important here is really about the social element. So during a live streaming session, the consumers can actually uh, read the live comments from the other users. They can even chat with them or talk to the uh, merchants and the live streaming host and ask questions about the specific products or features. And this eventually will be contributing to a higher engagement uh, and conversion to sales uh, across these merchants. And that's why we are now seeing an increasing amount of retailers moving uh, towards live streaming e-commerce and adding to their own team to uh, enrich their overall content ecosystem. Categories like beauty, apparel now are seeing the biggest benefits because they can really uh, get the synergy from the very interactive, attractive, and interesting content uh, across these live streaming sessions. According to our own estimates, the live streaming e-commerce will exceed over one-third of the total China online retail uh, by 2025. Uh, it sounds like I need to upgrade my shopping uh, techniques here. So we're, we're hearing a lot about innovation. We're seeing a lot of increased efficiency through the sector. At the same time, the, the, the Chinese internet companies have been under heavy regulatory pressure since last year. Can you tell us a bit, how, how do you view the regulatory landscape right now? And, and to what extent do these regulations impact the actual business operations and the future growth? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's definitely a quiet uh, period with a lot of changes. Uh, and ultimately, when you look at the rest of the world, right, we actually seen similar campaigns such as anti-monopoly, uh, data privacy, and all these kind of rules and policies around for many other tech companies around the world. So eventually, it's really just similar context. And, if, uh, and given the fact that the, the Chinese internet platforms are now contributing a more and more significant portion of overall retail and GDP, and that's why we really need to step up on the entire industry's standard perspective. Uh, in the China side, we actually saw the past 18 months as a period of time for setting the legislative framework uh, to address multiple key issues, including competition, fair pricing, uh, and also user privacy. Let me just kind of take the user privacy as an example here. So, you know, in today's digital world, we all exist in some sort of um, data formats. And eventually our identity differentiates based on our day-to-day -day internet usage, including our web browsing history or the consumer behaviors and so on. These kind of data is highly valuable and could be Without a proper protection, uh, it could be simply taken advantage of by information theft or any sort of commercial misusage. And that's why uh, in the most recent data security law uh, released last year, it was all about data segmentation. 
So in other words, the platforms now have to step up and take, take a greater responsibility to uh, segment out our data into different layers and protecting the more, more uh, sensitive data uh, and isolate from the others. Eventually, on the operational front, uh, the merchants and advertisers will now need to pay a closer attention to the ROI for the targeted uh, consumer marketing and could be leading to a more prudent spending patterns. But now, if you take a step back and look at the overall industry, it's actually positive towards uh, the overall industry quality. Right, because now we, we've all operating on a higher standard and eventually platforms are the, the gatekeepers uh, to make sure that our data is safely secured. Uh, so eventually we think this is actually positive towards the long-term sector growth. Got it, thanks. Now, as we speak, China is dealing with its largest wave of COVID since the start of the uh, pandemic. Uh, you recently hosted a conference where you heard from a number of experts who were giving um, up-to-date perspectives on what is happening here with the lockdowns, etc. Can you share with us some of the key takeaways from that day? Sure. It was quite a fun event, actually, with a lot of interesting findings. So during the event, we spent a lot of time thinking through the implications uh, around the entire e-commerce value chain and how this round of Omicron or lockdown is different compared to the similar period in March 2020. And in general, for this year, logistics seems to be the biggest big bottleneck, uh, especially under a more strict uh, measure, control measures, a lot of communities are now under frequent lockdowns, and especially among the highly density or top tier cities. And this actually created a huge capacity shortage from line haul transportation to last mile delivery. When the roads, highways also intervention in some level, uh, the truck drivers, delivery riders all have to take extra amount of effort uh, to go through these PCR tests and daily examination. And eventually that has caused a sharp volume decline uh, since mid-March until now. Uh, but on the bright side, uh, it's very interesting to see there is a lesser impact from a supply chain perspective this round. And we think majority of that was actually benefited from how the merchants are now getting more and more adapted to the dynamic policy changes. Uh, so in the past two years uh, from this whole fighting with COVID uh, situation, the brands are now taking valuable lessons in their overall inventory management quality, as well as the contingency plans. So going forward, we think this will actually help to accelerate the entire digitalization process for the supply chain and drive the overall uh, online penetration for the e-commerce sector. Ellie, thanks so much for joining us here in the discussion. And to our audience, thank you for listening to this episode of Perspectives. You can learn more about Macquarie's Asia Equity Research Team and our Delta strategy at Macquarie.com. Thank you for listening to this Macquarie Group podcast. All episode disclaimers can be found in the show notes. 